quote for you as we are in our fifth week of our Rookies, Vets, and Free Agents series on relationships. Uh, Agree or disagree, conflict is the price you have to pay for greater intimacy. Conflict is the price you have to pay for greater intimacy. Agree. So I'm going to agree with this as well. In fact, I'm going to say that probably not a truer word has been spoken. Uh, We mentioned this, I think it was on week one, uh, that we always marry the wrong person. Remember that? Right? And even if you happen to luck out and marry the right person, uh, marriage being as large of an institution as it is instantly changes each one of us. And so if you marry the right person, after you get married, they're already the wrong person. So the issue is learning how to figure out how to love the stranger that you find yourself married to. Now, uh, none of us then, therefore, marry, date, right, are in a relationship with someone who is perfect, right? There is No perfect match. Now, I know that that blows all kinds of romantic theories out of the water, and it's okay. Hang with me, all right? I was one of those romantic people, like, God has one person, one person just for me. Uh, I don't think that that's actually biblical. He did that a couple of times in the Bible, but not with most folks. And what I think we find ourselves with once we're in a relationship is we find ourselves an imperfect person trying to figure out how to relate to another imperfect person. I mean, the truth is, is if you wound up marrying yourself, you'd still fight. <laughs> like, that's, that's just how broken all of us are. Now, um, there's a marriage therapist named uh, David and Vera Mace. They say that we all bring three raw materials with us into any relationship. Uh, the first one is all the things that you have in common. These are the things that you both like. All right, the second thing, raw material that you bring in, is all the things in which you are different, but the differences are complementary. Okay, so you're like, oh, we're different, and it's great, it works out so well, right? She likes to cook, I like to eat, you know? Uh, He likes to clean, I like to make messes, whatever it is. Uh, The third, though, are the differences which are not at all complementary and cause most of your conflict. And that is what every single married couple has. Lots of them. Now, the more you get to know your spouse, the more you learn how to push their buttons, correct? Right? The more you know the things that bug them or get under their skin. Uh, This was not one of my finer moments. I'll preface it by saying that up front. Uh, Brenda and I, I don't even remember how long ago this was. I don't know, five, eight years ago. We were having an argument. Don't even remember what it was about. And uh, I felt like Brenda was actually being like, not just unreasonable, but, like, mean, okay? Like, it was, like, oh, like getting over the top, all right? She's not here to defend herself, so I'll try to be as kind as I can. But in that moment, I, I was saying, like, uh, I, I think that not only are you incorrect, but I think that you're actually blowing this way out of proportion, and you're actually getting really mean. And then she said something else. I don't remember what she said, but, like, I, when Brenda and I fight, I can be kind of the, I'm pretty good with my words, okay? And so if it's like a verbal sparring, usually like I'm going to have the upper hand in that. She usually needs a little bit of space to process. And so when there's this verbal sparring going on, sometimes I can kind of stay calm and kind of collected and I can be really good with my words and that just makes her even more frustrated and more angry. And so she said something really, really rude to me. And so I looked at her and I said, "Uh, 
honey, would you like to apologize now or should we wait until tomorrow like normal? <laughs> Needless to say, <laughs> that did not de-escalate the argument, all right? Some of us need to learn how to fight fairly and some of us need to learn how to fight fairly. For couples like Brenda and I, uh, who don't generally back down, right, we're not natural peacemakers, uh, we need to learn the art of war, the art of fighting in a way that is constructive, not destructive. There's other couples, though, who maybe prefer to keep the peace, okay? You guys need to learn how to actually fight, okay? Now, you need to learn how to fight because otherwise what it turns into is guerrilla warfare where you're just setting emotional traps for each other and certainly uh, secretly burning your relationship to the ground. Some of us need to learn how to fight fairly and some of us need to learn how to fight fairly. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to James chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of passages to remind ourselves not only what's going on in our own lives, but also what God desires to do in us so that we can relate to one another in the way that he wants. If you need a Bible, sorry, you can just raise your hand. We've got folks that will pass one out to you. You can follow along. We're starting in James chapter 3. This is a fairly well-known uh, passage of Scripture. It's pretty intense. Uh, James uh, was Jesus' brother. He wound up being the kind of lead pastor in the church of Jerusalem, and James doesn't pull punches. James is like in your face, it's super practical, and he's not afraid to tell it like it is. James chapter 3, starting in verse 3, he's talking about the tongue, taming the tongue. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can actually turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. What do you really think, James? All kinds of animals, verse 7, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Look what James is saying right up front. He's just like, yo, you need to understand that the tongue is powerful. The tongue has the ability to not just produce life, it also has the ability to produce death. The way that we use our tongue can actually set an entire life on fire. Some of you understand this. Uh, because when you were growing up, you experienced that. Uh, maybe it was a constant drip of disappointment or criticism that was leveled at you. Uh, possibly it was uh, some really cruel things that were said to you when you were in elementary school that you still think about to this day. We all understand the power that the tongue actually plays in our lives. Um, I don't think James is simply talking about our words, though. Uh, did you know that 93% of communication is 
the tone of the words, and your body language. Only 7% of communication is actually the words that you say. Now, it doesn't mean that words aren't important. They are very important. But how we say them, how we actually engage with one another in communication with our body language and our tone and our words, all of it matters. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the second half of the verse, Jesus says this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, he's actually quoting Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of that everything flows. The idea that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Whatever's in here is what's going to come out here. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that what we focus on, right, the eye always drains to the heart. And whatever's in the heart is what always comes back out of the mouth. And that's why it's so important to recognize that it's not simply about the tongue and our words and the way that we communicate. It's actually paying attention to what's inside because what's inside our hearts, that's actually what's going to spill out. And I promise you, it spills out way quicker and easier with the person that you're in a relationship with. Now, uh, the way to tame our tongue is not to try hard enough. Uh, a lot of times I think that's what we assume. Like, all right, man, I really got to buckle down. I really got to get this thing under control. I really have to, you know, tame my tongue, hold my tongue. In fact, some of you grew up in families where you think that you did that great. Like your family didn't argue, they didn't fight. But some of those families can be as brutal, if not more, right? That criticism, that disappointment, those little tiny words. Oh, it's nothing major. There's no major verbal blow-ups, but they can be just as cruel. And some of you grew up in families like mine. Where if you weren't yelling, you might not love me, right? Like that's, I mean, like that's kind of how we expressed ourselves to one another. Now, taming our tongue is not the issue. The issue is asking God to transform our hearts. You see, whatever's inside, that's what comes out, right? I'm always talking about this. I want to be so full of Jesus that when I bump into somebody else, I spill Jesus on them, right? The problem is, is I'm usually way too full of myself. And so instead of Spilling Jesus, I spill myself on them, and myself torn, he's not nearly what Jesus desires of me. Uh, nobody can do this, though, on their own. You can't transform your heart on your own. Uh, this is actually the power of the gospel. This is the good news, that even though you can't do it on your own, Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins and rose back to life, so that if we put our faith in him, our trust in him, he will begin to transform us from the inside out. Look, if you want to tame the tongue, you got to start by begging God to transform the heart. That's what God wants for us. And so if we're going to be a people who learns the art of war, learns how to fight fairly, we have to be a people who's willing to allow God, asking God, begging God to transform our hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I love that. I love that. That's, God desires to do that for us. God wants to transform us. It's not like you got to be like, yo, God, I'm not sure that you're really down with this, but I need some help. God's like, yo, 
that's what I've been waiting for. Like I've been waiting for you to, I want, oh, I can't wait. Let's get at this together. God loves that. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 to 21. This will be our last passage we look at this morning before we dive into some very practical ways. It says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, what this passage is saying is that the fruit of our words is what feeds our psyche. Okay, It's what feeds who we are, how we think about ourselves. Not only that, but it feeds the psyche of our spouses, of the people that we're in relationship with. Right? How we talk. The ways that we talk, are we building up, giving life, or are we tearing down, creating death? That actually is what feeds who we are. And so let me ask you this question, okay? If your spouse, your significant other, maybe your roommates, if they had to live off of your words as their only sustenance, how would they be doing right now? Some of them, like, they would be pretty sick, right? Not because you don't give them enough words. You give them lots of words. The problem is the words you give them aren't super healthy, right? They're not delicious and nutritious. And so they got lots of words, but they're not good words. Some of you, your your spouses, your significant others, they, they might actually be like weak and gaunt, barely able to stand up because you're withholding from them the words of life. They're malnourished. They're wondering if you actually care. Now, uh, the ones who say too much, right, that, that's, I probably fall into that category. We're the angry ones, right? We're mean, we're kind of loud, we're, we tend to be the yelling types, all right? Uh, we're the ones that need to learn how to fight fairly, okay? You don't have to teach us how to fight, like we know how to, we're ready, right? Drop of a hat, let's go. We need to learn how to fight fairly. Now, some of you, though, that maybe kind of withhold a little bit, Right? These are the folks that tend to be a little bit kind of passive-aggressive, maybe, or the avoiders, or the hold-it-all-in, right? kind of hold you emotionally hostage. Uh, it's kind of like you've maybe heard this old adage, right? the guy who got married, and, and, he, and he looks at his wife, and he says, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? And some are like, I'm, I'm just not the touchy-feely type. All right, fine. That, that, but that doesn't mean that you can withhold the very things that are going to bring your spouse life, men or women. Those folks need to learn how to fight fairly. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to give us three lessons on how to fight fairly. Cool? Three lessons, all right? These are going to be little mini lessons. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's up on the screen. Uh, Lots and lots of opportunities to take notes. What I want you to do this morning is invite Jesus into this space. I want you to consider what we're about to do as a conversation with Jesus, all right? That in each lesson, we're going to learn some things about how Jesus has created us that are practical and helpful, and Jesus, I think, is going to want to begin to highlight certain points. Go ahead and jot those down. If you're like a note taker and you're like, hey, I love taking notes, you're going to need your phone, pull it out, okay? Take pictures, all right? That way you can go back to stuff and you can... Remind yourself, ooh, that thing that he said, but he said it so fast, I couldn't write it down. I got a picture of it. Perfect. Here we go. Lesson number one. The fight is almost never about what the fight is about. Okay? 
The fight is almost never about what the fight is about. Uh, Brenda and I, we had been married for, I think, maybe three years at this point. We were um, living in Grand Rapids, but we were heading back to Chicago uh, for a weekend. This is where we had gotten married, and it was the first place we had lived together. And so we're driving back, and it was somewhere after Holland, but before Gary, you know, where there's like no civilization at all. And, and we're having this conversation with one another, and it was about a, some friends of ours that had uh, gotten married about the same time we had. And they had gone off birth control. So they had sent an email. It was like an email that they had sent to us. Um, we were good friends. And they had just mentioned that, that uh, they weren't on birth control anymore. And Brenda said, oh, they're trying to get pregnant. And I said, no, they're not trying to get pregnant. They're just not trying to not get pregnant. Okay? Like there's a, there's a difference. Okay? It's one thing to pull the goalie. It's another thing to take shots every night. You know what I'm saying? Like there's... Now... She, though, didn't appreciate the fact that I was disagreeing with her. She grew up in a family where you didn't offer a a rebuttal on a comment that was just straight and to the point and in your face. Her family was much, much kinder. My family, if you didn't offer a rebuttal that was straight into your face, then you probably don't care about anything that I'm saying. So for me to engage like this was just like, hey, no, this is normal. For her to hear it actually made her furious. Like, how dare I? What a jerk is what she was kind of thinking. And so we got into this fight about whether they were trying to get pregnant. Yes, they're trying. No, they're not trying. They're just not not trying. All right, there's a difference. We're literally driving the car and we are screaming at each other. No joke, I'm not even kidding. Dumbest thing ever, right? But we are screaming. And neither one of us had been given the tools on how to have effective communication, how to fight fairly. And I remember screaming back and forth. And finally, I just yelled out, I mean, like at the top of my lungs, you might want to turn me down. Enough! And it was silence for the next half an hour, 40 minutes. We weren't fighting over the fact of whether or not our friends were trying to get pregnant or not. We were fighting because Brenda had grown up with a whole different understanding of how you communicate. And so when that got violated, she got really upset. And I sat there like, who is this fire-breathing dragon sitting next to me right now like I don't back down from fire breathing dragons and she's sitting there thinking who is this donkey hole that God has given to me as a husband and that was what we were actually fighting about these other things lesson one the fight is almost never about what the fight is about so I want to give you six skills this is from doctors Les and Leslie Parrott all right they have six skills on how to get better at communication. Here we go. Number one, make I statements, not you statements. All right? Friends, this has been transformative for our marriage. I'm just telling you. We are not always great at it. All right? But when we're bad and we use you statements, you did this, I can't believe you, versus I feel like when that happens, it really hurts me or whatever it is that when I use I statements, it tends to de-escalate. When I use you statements, it actually escalates the fight, okay? When you're feeling hurt, though, our first inclination is usually to kind of attack back. That's when we start using those you statements. However, if we can change our mentality to start using I statements, things will change. So let me give you an example of this, all right? 
Instead of saying, you're so careless, how could you forget that we were going out tonight, right? That's a you statement. It would be much better to say, I feel a little hurt and disappointed when you forget things we plan together. Do you see the difference that that makes in how someone's going to respond? A you statement makes me go on the defense. An I statement makes me consider why you're feeling the way you're feeling and what I've done to make you feel that way. Number two, practice reflective listening. We're going to fly through these. This is lesson number one. Practice reflective listening. The point of reflective listening is to let your partner know that you've heard what they said and that you understand their message. This will feel super awkward at first, okay? This will be super awkward at first because you're like, you're repeating back to them what they've said. You're like, that's so weird. I don't need to do that. No, actually you do. And you need to feel a little bit awkward. It's okay because the more you practice this, the more it will actually not feel awkward. And you'll actually start to hear what the other person is saying, right? Sorry. You will actually start to listen to what the other person is saying rather than simply hear. So let me give you a a little bit of an example, okay? If you're at a loss and you can't seem to reflect your partner's message, there's two things that you ought to do, all right? If you're just like, I don't even know how to kind of like share with you what I think you're trying to say to me. I'm not sure what you're trying to say to me. Here's two things that you can do. Uh, The first is make sure you really want to accurately understand the message. All right, a lot of times we're we're hearing what they're saying just so that we can respond. We're not actually listening for what they're saying, right? Anybody ever do that? (laughs) Right up front as soon as I said it. I do, right? I'm like, ooh, ooh, I'm going to say, ooh, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that, ooh, ooh. And, And I'm not even listening to what Brenda's actually saying to me. The second thing that you can do is say something like, tell me more about it. Or help me understand what you mean. Man, I'm telling you, you ask a question like that, all of a sudden, they'll start to think about why am I saying what I'm saying? What is actually going on? And they will help you understand. Number three, understand and accept the differences between men and women. Deborah Tannen, uh, she's a linguistics expert. She says this, uh, women excel at rapport talk. Men feel most comfortable with report talk. Women share feelings and men solve problems. Now, obviously this is a generalization, okay? All right? But it's often very true. There are differences in genders of how we generally engage with one another. Men are often looking at hierarchy in our conversations, where we kind of stack up. We don't even think about it. It's not conscious, but it's happening all the time. Women are often talking about feelings, what's actually going on in their lives, And so uh, it's important to understand in in the midst of this that not only are there differences, but it doesn't mean, right, that men and women can't click into the other mode. But we need cues sometimes. Uh, This has caused so many fights for Brenda and I over the years, right? Um, Brenda would start telling me about her day, okay? She wants to share. She's just filling me in on what happened, and she starts talking about something at work, and instantly I go into solve it mode, right? Like she's like, ah, I had this patient, and my, my nurse manager wasn't helping out, or da 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 da, you know? And I'm like, well, did you talk to her? Well, why don't you set up a meeting and have a con-? And she's like, ah, you're not listening to me. And I'm like, no, I am listening to you, obviously, because I'm trying to solve your problems rather than just listening to you complain, which didn't go real well, all right? 
You see, what Brenda wants is for me to just empathize with her, to listen to her, to allow her to get it off of her chest. She doesn't need me to fix it. It's already been fixed. Or if she wanted to fix it, she'd have done it herself. She didn't need me to try. And what we've learned over the years is that Brenda will actually tell me now, hey, babe, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, awesome. I can do that. (laughs) The fact, it kind of lets me off the hook. I don't have to think about solutions. I can just sit there and actually say, oh, babe, that stinks. That must have been really hard because that's actually what she wanted me to say. And the same thing's true for me. Sometimes I have to say the same thing to her. Hey, babe, I, I don't need you to, like, tell me where I'm wrong. I just need you to listen and encourage me. And she does. Number four, apologize and ask for forgiveness whenever necessary. Now, there's two pieces to this. It's not just apologizing. It's also asking for forgiveness. Uh, A few weeks ago, we said that there was the five uh, most important words you can learn in a marriage. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Some of you grew up in families where you never heard that. The thought of asking for forgiveness feels scary in, in, in many ways because maybe they won't. Maybe they won't extend that. Maybe it wasn't extended to you when you were younger. And so that feels, but that is one of the most beautiful and powerful ways of making yourself vulnerable to your spouse where they will recognize that you are doing it out of love. Will you make mistakes? Absolutely. We all do. Man, I actually owe my son one. All right, because uh, kids actually learn this from watching how their parents interact with each other, but also how the parent acts with the child. I blew up on, on Max yesterday, uh, and, I, and I was demeaning in that moment. I lost it. And I apologized to him, but I, I was thinking about it last night after he was in bed. I was like, I need to talk to him again, and I haven't had the chance yet, and I'm going to. Because I just need to say, dude, that's not cool what dad did, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? There is a power that we extend when we ask for that. It puts us in a place of need. Number five, power down and get offline. Friends, I can't tell you how absolutely stunningly important this one actually is. Uh, Will Farrell, who's a highly respected marriage therapist, said, <laughs> before you get married, ask yourself, is this the person you want to watch stare at their phone the rest of your life? That's a great question to ask. Um, 34% of couples admit to answering their phone during intimate moments. 20% of people would rather go shoeless for a week than take a break from their phones. And 65% of people sleep next to their phones. Uh, This comes out of the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. It's an academic journal. A study that was done. Listen to this quote. The bottom line is that interacting without a phone nearby helps foster closeness, connectedness, interpersonal trust, and perceptions of empathy, the building blocks of good conversations. Friends, we are so tied to our phones. I am, right? When my phone's not in my pocket, I still get phone calls. It's crazy, right? You ever have that happen? Your leg starts to buzz? My phone's not even there, right? We have to learn how to interact with each other without our phones, Uh, One of the things that the parrots do is they actually don't bring the phone into the bedroom. So their charging stations are either in the kitchen or I think one of them has it in their kind of home office. It never even comes into the bedroom. That in and of itself is scaring some of you to think about. 
But the more that we can learn how to interact with each other on our dates, on our times together without even having our phones nearby, I promise you the world will not end. I grew up without a cell phone. I made it. I survived. It was crazy. I know. But it can happen. And I say that not to try to shame you. I say that to try to shame myself because the truth is, is I am one of the worst offenders. Number six, communicate through touch. Um, there's a lady, her name is Helen Fisher. She wrote a book called The Anatomy of Love. She points this out. Human skin is like a field of grass, each blade a nerve ending so sensitive that the slightest graze can etch into the human brain a memory of the moment. We know that infants will die if they're not held. Like, not emotionally, I mean physically will die. Physical touch is necessary for a human to flourish, and it doesn't matter if you're a baby or if you're an adult. And I'm not talking about sexual physical touch. I'm talking about just physical touch. My wife grew up with it. All right. She's probably going to be mad that I... She's got, like, awesome skin because she's got, like, no hair. Okay? And so her mom used to love rubbing her brothers and her... Like, her mom would pet them. It's weird. Okay? But it is pretty awesome. I will admit. Like, Brenda's forearm is just, like, hairless. And you're like, oh... And her mom did that. She grew up loving that. She is... One of her love languages is physical touch. It is not mine. Okay? That was not my family. All right? We're hairy people. Okay? All right? Not fun to pet a hairy dude. I'm just saying. Like, this is weird. So, my wife loves it, though. Drives me crazy. We talk about this all the time. But I know I need it. But more than that, I know that she needs it. And so we communicate with physical touch, holding hands, a hug when you get home, a kiss before you leave. What is it that you're doing? I don't know what family you grew up in. Maybe you grew up in one of those families like, oh, my goodness, my folks are disgusting, right? Like, they're always kissing and pinching each other's butts, and, oh, it's so gross, and I hate it, all right? Maybe you grew up, though, in a family that was like, I, I think my parents must have had sex three times because there was, you know, four of us. So I, you know, like, uh, that's what you think, okay? I don't know what kind of a family you grew up in, but I can tell you this. It's important for you, regardless of what it was like, to set a healthy example of physical touch as a means of communication. All right, that's lesson one. Lesson two, I'm going to tell you real briefly about the four horsemen that are coming for your marriage unless you stop them. Number one, criticism. Criticism is different than complaining, okay? Uh, complaining is an okay thing to do. In fact, quite honestly, we have to complain about the things that are bugging us. That's actually how we begin to engage in conflict, all right? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of complaining that is like a constant drip. What I'm talking about is talking about the things that bug you, bringing them up, not running from them. The difference between complaining and criticizing might not seem to be a big difference, but it is. Criticism involves attacking somebody's personality rather than their behavior, okay? That's the difference between criticism and complaining. Criticism is when you start attacking their personality rather than their behavior. So complaints usually begin with the word I. Okay? This is what we talked about, that I, you, right? Um, I wish you were on your phone less. That's a complaint. Okay? Your face is always glued to your phone is a criticism. Do you see the difference there? Right? It's what I'm hoping for. That's that I, you statement. Now, criticism leads to the second of the four horsemen, which is contempt. And this is when it starts to get really dangerous. Let me uh, give you an example. There's a couple named John and Rachel. They'd been married for about a year, and they had some pretty big differences in how they utilized money. And it was really, they hadn't dealt with it. It was really beginning to, to be an issue. And so in the heat of one particular nasty argument, 
Rachel found herself yelling, why are you always so irresponsible? You are so selfish. Fed up, John retorted back, give me a break. You're so tight you squeak when you walk. I don't even know how I ended up with someone like you. I wish I had listened when everyone told me to break up with you. That's contempt. That's when criticism has moved into disdain for the person. In fact, John Gottman defines contempt as the intention to insult and psychologically abuse your partner. It doesn't matter if you're just beginning to date or you've been married 40 years, contempt can creep into any relationship and it begins to blot out all the positive things that you think about one another. Criticism and contempt lead to defensiveness. This is the third horseman, defensiveness. When you feel as though you're being attacked, like defensiveness, that's, it's natural, right? We want to protect ourselves from the pain, from the hurt. The problem is that defensiveness creates a false narrative that puts all the blame on the other person and denies personal responsibility for the situation. Now, it's nothing to do with me, it's everything to do with them. And that leads to the fourth horseman, which is stonewalling. Stonewalling is when one party just simply stops responding to the other. It doesn't matter what's said, they just refuse to engage, and it's used as a way to try to control the situation and control the other person and the outcome. Uh, a lot of times, people who stonewall, um, they say it's a way, it's what they're doing to not escalate the fight. Well, I'm just, I'm just not escalating the fight. Uh, but the truth is, it's usually just a way to convey disapproval It's a way to try to control through an icy distance and a smugness. Um, The parrots say that uh, even healthy couples can, during intense arguments, find themselves falling into taking prey by one of these four horsemen. The real danger comes when it starts to become a habit, when it becomes the thing that is your normal modus operandi. Now, um, when stonewalling begins to occur, they actually say that at that point, because communication is actually being broken off, what happens is is it makes the marriage incredibly fragile. Um, Here's something that you need to hear, though. No matter where you're at in this process, and right now, every single one of you, you're thinking about this with your roommates, you're thinking about this with your spouse or the person you're dating, you are figuring out where, where am I in the list of the four horsemen? And all of you know, you know, oh man, I'm at, that, I'm at that contempt stage or I'm at the defensive stage. I don't think it's all, anything's my fault, it's all theirs. I want you to know that there is still hope. If you're at stonewalling, there's still hope. It will be hard. It will require outside help. But you can find health in your marriage again. Now, the third lesson is the only way that we can reclaim that lost ground is we need to learn the five rules of Fight Club. How to fight fairly. The five rules of Fight Club are this, okay? Uh, they actually come out of um, two guys in Denver uh, that are PhDs, researchers, and all they've been researching for the like, last like 20, 30 years has been marital relationships. And they've actually found by listening to communication that they can accurately, with, within about an 80% accuracy, uh, tell a couple, I mean, I don't think they actually tell the couples this, I hope not, uh, whether or not they'll be divorced within the first six or seven years. And what they look at is this. 
they look for, uh, what they look for is not whether a couple argues, but how the couple argues. Not whether they argue, because everybody does, how they argue. So the five rules of Fight Club are this. Number one, don't run from strife. That's the first rule of Fight Club. Don't run from strife. Don't stuff the stuff, okay? You actually have to talk about it. You have to bring it up. Now, it doesn't mean that if the argument's getting heated that there isn't a time to walk away, right? To get some distance, to get some clarity and thinking. But you can't simply walk away and then not re-engage. Um, I am a verbal processor. I've told you that before, right? When Brenda and I fight, I love getting at it. Like, let's just go. Let's get it out. Let's talk about it, all right? Brenda can go there for a little while, but if she feels like I'm just beating her up with words, she'll tell me, uh, I'm done. I need space. I need to process this. And I've learned over time, because usually it, when we were first married, I would just like keep going, like wherever she went, I'd keep following her and saying stuff, right? <laughs> that didn't work well, okay? She's like, leave me alone. I've learned she does need space. She's not like me. And so I have to give her time. What we've also learned, though, is she can't walk away without saying to me, I need space. Let's talk about this and then give me a, a time when we can talk about it. I'm not good with just letting something hang out there. She'd be okay with that. She knows that she also needs the accountability of saying, I need time to think about this. For her, it could be, uh, we can talk about this tomorrow. Or let's talk about this after the kids are down. Or I just need a half an hour. I just need some space and then we can talk. Sometimes she's like, I just need to eat. Okay, you ever say hangry? Like that's a real thing. So she needs space and I have to give that to her. But she also needs to give me a time where we're going to come back together and actually figure out the conflict. Number two, the second rule of fight club. Choose your battles carefully and don't dwell on downers. Choose your battles carefully and don't dwell on Now, I know I just said don't stuff the stuff, right? That's, that's rule one. Don't run away from the strife. Now I'm saying, hey, choose your battles carefully. Look, there are some things that it's good for you to simply overlook, all right? Proverbs 19.11 says, it is to a person's glory to overlook an offense, all right? The way that your spouse rolls the toothpaste is probably something you can overlook, all right? Not every single thing that bugs you has to be brought up. You have to start to figure out which things ought I bring up, right? You don't have to get upset with everything. You can choose to say, all right, I'm going to let that go. Not a big deal. Um, I, for a long time, well, I still do to this day. In fact, I thought about it this morning because I knew I was talking about this. I like having my coffee in the morning, and I always have coffee with sweetener. And it can't just be any kind of sweetener. It's got to be equal. And it can't just be equal. It's got to be equal and sweet and low. I know. I'm like 90, all right? But I like a blue and a pink in my coffee. I want one of each, and I will rip them open, and I will put I, – I know. Yeah, that is the – she's literally going – I, I, I deserve that. I do. I know that. I just can't stop it. And then I put the packets on the counter, okay? There's a trash behind me, but my thinking is I'm going to have, like, another cup in a little bit, and so then I'm going to put some more in there, okay? Brenda hates visual clutter. Drives her crazy. She will wake up in the morning, okay, or she's always awake usually before me, but we're in the kitchen and she'll see it laying there and she will like start nagging me. Are you kidding me, Torin? The trash is literally two feet away. You couldn't have just thrown it into the trash? I'm like, I will uh, after my third cup when I've got six packets sitting there, okay? 
I know, that's even more shameful when I say it out loud. But that's our reality. She will get frustrated with me. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, I didn't actually realize. She told me later. She, she said, do you notice how I've not been getting frustrated with you? Uh, she was actually thinking about this, and she said, um, I realized I was making a mountain out of a molehill. She's like, if I really care, I can also throw it away. It actually takes less energy for me to just throw it away myself than to get mad at you. And I was like, oh, baby, that's so nice. Right? Like, I was like, so now I make sure to throw them away. This morning, they were sitting on the counter. I was like, Brenda's coming home a little later. I'm throwing them away so she doesn't have to, right? Because of her love for me, now I'm also trying to serve her with equal vigor. That's what Jesus desires. It's what he wants. Choose your battles carefully and don't dwell on downers. It's not always how you get into arguments, but how you exit arguments. If you dwell on downers, you will eventually sink. The third rule of Fight Club. You ready? Third rule is define the issue clearly and state your feelings directly. I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to teach you the XYZ formula. Okay? The XYZ formula. Um, this comes from uh, um, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Uh, Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott. They say this, the XYZ formula, in situation X, when you do Y, okay, I feel Z. So this is an example. When you are on the road, X, okay, when you do, in situation X, and you don't tell me that you miss me, Y, I feel unloved and lonely, Z. Another one, last Thursday night, okay, that's the situation. When you called your mom and talked for a half an hour, that's what happened. I feel like our plans for the evening went out the window, Z. All of a sudden now, we have communicated effectively and clearly. The issue has been clearly defined, and we've stated our feelings in a clear manner. Brenda literally once went and got the book and said, I'm going to X, Y, Z you, all right? I don't necessarily recommend exactly doing it quite that, like, in your face, but it was helpful. We've actually begun to use this in our own relationship. When this happened, and you did this, I felt like this. Well, now... What's happened has been stated clearly, and my feelings have been stated clearly, and we can actually communicate. Look, that's one of the rules of Fight Club. State what you're feeling clearly. Make sure that the issue is clear. Rule number four of Fight Club, rate the intensity of your feelings. This is going to be a quick one. There's going to be ten things up there, okay? You're going to rate it between one and ten, all right? At the bottom, number one, you'll see I'm not enthusiastic, but it's no big deal to me. All right, that's like, all right, I don't really care, whatever, not a big deal, right? And then all the way down to 10, over my dead body. Okay, now, I want to point something out, all right? If you are at 7, okay, 7, 8, 9, or 10, I strongly disapprove and I cannot go along with it. You probably need outside help. If you're both at a seven. Now, truth is, if you're ever getting into an argument, sometimes you just say, hey, what's your, like, level here? Are we at, like, a, 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 a six, seven? And somebody's usually like, well, actually, I'm probably, like, a three. Like, I just don't like that you're making this decision without asking me, but I don't care that much. And now, all of a sudden, we can, like, understand. Like, that's one of the rules of Fight Club. We're going to know how to fight a little bit better at that point. But if you're both at, like, I'm, a, I'm an eight on this. Well, then I'm a seven on this. You probably need an, a referee. Like, seriously. Okay? That, that's what spiritual authorities in your life 
are helpful with doing. That's what having a small group where you have real community that you genuinely trust and you can actually talk about the warts in your relationships. That's where these folks become helpful. Because you can go and say, hey, we're like, we both feel really strongly about this. And obviously it's a big deal if you both feel really strongly and you're going to need somebody to help you work through it. The last rule of Fight Club. Give up put-downs. Give up put-downs. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Baloney. That is such a lie. Okay? You know it's a lie. And so I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you three things that the parrots say should be off limits in a fight. The first is if your spouse was hurt by something or someone, something that was said to them when they were younger, and you know that it's really painful, bringing it up in a fight is off limits. Okay? Someone was like, everybody used to make fun of the size of his nose. Called him Big Bird. You can't be like, yo, yo, yo. It wasn't just the size of your nose, it's also the size of your ego, Big Bird. All right, off limits. Can't do it. The second thing that is off limits during an argument is sexual performance or sexual dissatisfaction. That is a hard enough topic to bring up when things are going great. When things are in the middle of a heated argument, bringing up something like that can wreck a relationship. Now, it does need to be brought up. Sexual dissatisfaction needs to be talked about. That's why we're actually going to have a conversation a whole week next Sunday on sex. That's going to be PG, at least. And it's going to be fantastic, all right? Uh, And you need to be here for it. Whether you're married, single, uh, dating, engaged, whatever, it's an important conversation. And we're going to have a really good one about what the Bible thinks and how God expects us to. But in the middle of an argument, not the time or place. Uh, The last thing is in-laws. Saying like you're just like your mother during an argument is not helpful. Okay? All right? It's one thing for uh, me to talk about my parents. It's another thing for Brenda to talk about my parents in the middle of a fight. My mom's here. Don't worry, Mom. Brenda never talks about you. It's okay. <laughs> Look, that just should be one of those things that's off limits. Now, I'm going to add a fourth. The parrots don't talk about this, but I think this one's actually really important, too. Um, in the middle of a fight, you can't use Scripture as a weapon. I, I, I know people that have done this, okay? Uh, and it can be pretty brutal. Um, so don't do it, okay? Don't say something like, too bad I didn't marry a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> Right, Because then your wife's just going to be like, yeah, well, Jesus died for those he loves, so if you want to follow his example anytime, I'd be happy. Okay. Also not cool. All right, So don't use scripture as a weapon. Um, let me close with this quote. Marriage therapists know that marital unhappiness is never caused by one person. That's why therapists focus not on who is wrong, but on what is wrong. Conflict is the price you pay for deepening intimacy. But when you learn to fight fair, your marriage can flourish. Flourish, Friends, God cares about your relationships, which means God cares about how you fight. He does. And if God is a part of your covenant, there's always hope. If God is a part of your covenant, there's always hope. Jesus... Thank you for the ways that you love us, for your grace and your mercy. 
God, we know that we are an imperfect people. But Jesus, you are constantly transforming our hearts more and more. Jesus, I pray for anybody in here today that maybe um, needs to give themselves to you. Maybe that they know that there's some stuff going on and they've been trying to fix it themselves. They just haven't been able to. God, maybe today your spirit has been saying to them, invite me in. Jesus, Jesus, meet with that person right now. If you're out there and you need a new heart, invite Jesus in. Just just tell him, just say, Jesus, I want you, I need you. I believe in your death and resurrection. Come in and take away my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. God, for all of us that are trying to learn how to fight fairly because we genuinely want to love our spouses and we want to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus, Father, help us do this. God, would you remind all of us that when our covenant involves you, that we are never too far gone. You are the one who resurrects dead things. Thanks for doing that. We love you. It's in your name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.